Greg, it's episode 28 of the Rocktown Sports Pod, Rockingham County's only all-local sports podcast. I don't know if that's true, but I've been selling that line, and I guess the kids on the street have been buying. You can't. It, this is a passing of the torch kind of episode yes. here. Uh, as you guys know, Gre- Greg Medea, uh, JMU beat writer, uh, Jersey boy through and through, has uh, was taping this, was hosting the Rocktown Sports Pod, but... With the massive popularity of his walkthrough podcast, the Jamie Football Podcast, uh, I will now be hosting the Rocktown Sports Pod uh, under Greg's fine tutelage. Let's just say, Greg, from me to you, thank you. No problem. Happy, <laughs> happy we were able to get the Rocktown Sports Pod going because I think I think it's good that the high school, the prep level, you guys have an area to talk about Friday nights now. Yeah, like this is. I mean, I think. It's great you guys had all the coaches in. Started with Danny Grog when I was when I was when I guess hosted for the back, last back time. in your hosting days, <laughs> right? I, I think it's I think it's nothing but positive that there's an there's an outlet there that's gonna kind of focus on that. And Shane will be in to talk about hoops. I'll be in to talk about JMU football. But I think JMU football it's become too much of a there's too much to talk about oh, to definitely. squeeze it all into a segment on the Rocktown Sport when you got to get when, on the Rocktown Sports Pod when you got to get to prep football especially now because that's that's what's number one and yeah uh, you know in terms of reading a local paper uh, you got to get to that and you got to get to Shane so I think I think it's good how we're I think it's good how we're breaking it up and, and if you don't know the walkthrough uh I think it's on will it be on its regular weekly swing starting this week uh after this week this after week this we're week? gonna tape Friday a season preview edition of the walkthrough and then it'll be back on Thursdays uh, you know, one week at a time as the season goes along, uh, you know, looking back at the week that was and looking ahead uh, to the game that's that's coming up. And it's always chock full of interviews and other media types. Uh, that is also available on iTunes, SoundCloud. We got to get you on uh, Google Play Music. We'll take care of that. Okay. And get you on Spotify as well. It's also on DNRonline.com and embedded with every single one of Greg's JMU football stories. Folks, what you can't see in here because this is not a webcast, it's a podcast is the smile on this young man's face, Greg Medea, uh, because his Mets are 8-2 and two in their last 10, 61-57 overall, and they are... Are they half game out? Yeah, half game out of the wild one card. Game one, game, one game out of the wild one card. One game yeah. out of the last wild card spot after everyone, including... Including me. Let's let's be honest. uh, Gave this team up for dead. Greg, I mean, real briefly, the smile. Let's let's talk about these Mets. Yeah, I mean, we we have to. Because I guess the last time I was in here for for the Danny Grog interview, the Mets were nowhere near the wild card. (laughs) They were closer to last place in the National League. So, yes, I've I've been a little distracted, even though I've been covering JMU football every day for the last two weeks now. I've been a little distracted with the Mets at night because they're all of a sudden they're back in it. I have never seen a run like this in in my lifetime as a Mets fan. Uh, I mean, literally, I think the last time they won 14 of 15 was in like 1990. 1990. Before I was born. Yeah. You see, see, it it always comes down to that. I was a sophomore in high school in 1990. Greg wasn't even born yet. But I'm impressed. I mean, I just, this team was written off. I I would watch still because I'm a Met fan, but I wasn't watching with purpose. I was watching just to have some background noise, I would say, and, you know, see what Pete was going to do, see what Alonzo and McNeil would do. McNeil's going after the batting title. Alonzo's trying to smash home runs. 
Uh, you know, but they, they've come together. It's been it's been fun to watch. Yeah, it has been. I'm not even a Mets fan, and it's been enjoyable. I've been trying to keep up with them. That's our non-local portion of the Rocktown Sports Pod, Rockingham County's only all-local most of the time <laughs> uh, sports podcast. Greg, I mean, let's talk about what everyone was talking about Thursday night. He was, I believe, trending number one on Twitter in Washington, D.C., uh, Tons of tweets going out there, uh, but let's say this right now, okay? Let's let's emphasis add it. It was one preseason game. With that said, though, and especially when you're a seventh round draft pick, you got to make an impression. They, as they call him around here, Jimmy Frickin' Moreland uh, for the Washington Redskins in that preseason game against the Browns up in Cleveland. What a show. I mean, two forced fumbles, I think six tackles, three or four pass breakups. I mean, you were at home watching that. You were at home tweeting about that. I mean, I mean, goodness gracious, what what a debut. I mean, like I said, one preseason, but, I mean, what a debut. I mean, it's just like the story continues with him, you know. It's just a story that keeps getting better, and there's optimism that now he'll have a place in that Washington Redskins secondary. I thought, you know, when he was drafted, he'd still have to prove himself to make the team. I mean, a week in the camp when I was up in when I was down in Richmond two weeks ago from today, two weeks ago today, it was very clear that he was going to make the fifty-three man. It wasn't clear how big of a role he would have. Now it's looking like holy cow, he he might start at, at the nickel position for them. Uh, he's in a competition uh, with with Moreau uh, and some other players there in in, in DC. But he may he may end up playing a significant portion <laughs> of playing time early in his career, which I don't know. Even if you're the most diehard of diehard JMU fans, I don't know if you could have realistically said that. I don't think you could. I mean, no, I mean, you, I, I mean be happy that he got drafted. Be right. happy that he broke, got the, the, the program off that non-draft schneid. But, I mean, let's be real here. I mean, it, even, I mean, you and I even talking, there was always that little bit of a doubt before, before Thursday night. Right. I, and I think I always, my personal take after covering Jimmy for the last three years was – He would be really good on special teams for them, and he'd probably play some nickel at some point for them. I didn't think, you know, week one of the preseason, he'd be out there with the ones out there starting and making a name for himself, impressing uh, everybody. And he he backed up a lot of what he was doing in training camp and a lot of what he did in the the offseason rookie camp, OTAs, because, you know, just from talking to some people that were, have been covering are covering the Redskins when I was in Richmond, you know, they said, you know, he's, he's impressive. You know, he, he, he comes to work. He good at what he's been advertised as to do uh, during his time at JMU with breaking up passes, having a knack for, for finding the ball. Uh, of course, Gruden, Jay Gruden, the coach there in DC, uh, his, his biggest question mark about Jimmy was whether he can handle the physicality of the game. And I think he's showing that he can, you know, he practices every day with them. He's out there. He, he made a tackle in an open field, you know, was able to slow down a receiver before he had the, you know, pass breakup, pass breakup, force fumble. Force fumble on the goal line of right. all places. Still. Uh, seriously. I mean, it's just, you, you just, the story just I, continues to evolve from that setback that he had at JMU uh, to all American to, you know, national champion, whatever, all the accomplishments ended up being in, in, in Harrisonburg. Uh, to now where he's he's starting to make him na- a name for himself as a pro. I think that even though uh, you know the transition in that first game from the, it, it catching up to the speed of the game, I mean, you, we, I mean, it's obvious it doesn't need to be said. It's a quicker game in the NFL. Yeah, than oh. it is college football, and just for him to 
it looked almost seamless. Like the ball hawking mentality was still there. He still knew where the ball was at every time it was thrown. Uh, it just seemed tr- it just seemed seamless. Yeah, I I think I think you can kind of give some credit there to Bob Trot and some of the corners coaches he's had at JMU uh, the past couple of years. I know when I spoke to uh, the Redskins DB coach, what he said was that you know Moreland has come in prepared. There there hasn't been much of a learning curve because he's in the film room all the time. He's asking the right questions. He's talking to those veteran. I think this is a big element, too. He's talking to those veterans in that Redskins secondary, like Landon Collins and Josh Norman, uh, Dominique Rogers, Cromartie. He's talking to those guys. Uh, Dunbar is another one. He's talking to those guys, and, and they're accepting of him because he's able to ask the right questions and and show that you know not only is he in it to do what he can do on the field, he's also one of the preparation that enables that success on the field. So I think that's one of the reasons why he's been able to have success and been able uh, to, to survive in the NFL at this point. You know, it's probably going to get a little faster week one of the regular season. Oh, definitely, definitely. But to this point, he's done everything right. And, and you got to wonder if he's not on a Redskins team with that, with, that, with that packed, solid DB room, you know, how much of an impact does he have? Let's say he's with, let's find some Larry team. Let's say he's with Detroit. Yeah. Let's say he's with the Lions, you know, and, and I mean, and I guess if he goes to the Lions and he shows off those ball hawking abilities, he's kind of like the big fish maybe in the medium sized pond as being the tiny fish in the big pond. And maybe it doesn't, maybe he doesn't catch up to the speed of the game that quickly. If he's the only guy in there who knows what he's doing. Yeah. I I think it's great that he has those veterans, veterans around him. Uh, you think about Josh Norman too, another small school guy, Coastal mm-hmm. Carolina. They were they were a one double A or FCS school before he went to the NFL. DRC, another small school guy. Uh, you, you think about they understand the path that he's on, and maybe there's some appreciation there uh, for what he's trying to do in terms of becoming an NFL starting cornerback. And maybe it starts in the nickel. Maybe he plays some outside uh, once once the season gets going. Once they get deeper into the year, but. Maybe he returns a punt or two. Would be I, nice. I think that's a possibility. Uh, if he's playing a lot on defense, though, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. I know. He, maybe he's blocking for the returner like he did at JMU <laughs> for all those touchdowns. He's, he, he, he was able to be the lead guy for Amos and, and Rashard Davis uh, in that 2016 championship season. Uh, John Miller, too. Uh, so I, I think there's plenty of opportunity for him there. Uh, and he's clearly show, shown he's, he's worthy of a 53-man spot. And he's showing that that he's obviously that he's learning, and that every time you see him through the Redskins social media, I mean, gosh dang it, Greg, he just looks like he's he's having fun. I mean, people love him. He looks like he's he looks like he's enjoying the trip. He he looks like he's enjoying the fact that you know, with all those Redskins, all those you know JMU fans up in that up in Northern Virginia and DC and Maryland. I mean, he's a superstar already with in their eyes. Uh, he's done nothing to hurt that. I mean, he's just been really just super gracious. They, the the one guy who dressed in the overall said he he gave him a, a, a hogs bracelet and he's been wearing and Jimmy's been wearing this hogs bracelet everywhere he goes. I mean, he's just kind of embraced the fact that he's a fan favorite. It seems like. Yeah, to me that was one surprising thing about my visit to Richmond. I know that JMU fans are they're naturally a lot sprinkled into the Redskins fan base. I, I know there's overlap there. But I was surprised with how many people at Redskins camp knew who he was. To me, I mean, 
I don't know how many of the other 31 fan bases in the, of the National Football League teams can can say they know who their seventh round pick is <laughs> uh, from the from the draft that just happened. To, to, I mean, I'm being honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're yeah. you're a fan of the Bears. I'm a I fan of the Giants. I could tell you who their seventh round to draft be honest, pick was. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know who the Giants picked in the seventh round. I don't either. But uh, so, see, but uh, when you when you think about Jimmy. Because he's he's kind of been built. Obviously, the JMU fan base has something to deal do with that and hyping him up a little bit. Uh, but he's been able to capitalize. And when you go out there, you make plays. You have interceptions. The practice I was at, he had the two interceptions in a couple of pl- in, in, in a session. There, uh, he picked off Case Keenum and then picked off Dwayne Haskins. Uh, to me. When you make plays like that and you're doing it consistently, people are going to know who you are. But I just thought it was was very funny, very surprising. You know, you had the, the old guy in a Ryan Kerrigan jersey yelling for Jimmy Moreland. You're telling him that he's a ball hog. And then you had a kid in the front row. I, I won't forget it. The little kid in the front row, bright gold bright, bright gold skin shirt on. He goes, hey, he's, he's calling for Jimmy. I was like, man, it. It's, it's wild how fast it happened. And to me, that's probably the most surprising part of all this is how much the Washington fan base has embraced this seventh-round pick out of, out of JMU. They love him already, it seems. Seventh-round pick for the Giants was uh, Chris Slayton, defensive tackle out of Syracuse. Their other seventh-round pick, a couple picks before that at 232, was George Asafo Adaji. He was an offensive lineman out of Kentucky. Okay. So now you know. Now I know. I'm not even looking at the Bears. It'll just depress me. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't the only uh, Jimmy uh, Morrill and not uh, Chris Layton. Wasn't the only James Madison alum to, to have a good night once again in one preseason football game. Uh, Raven Green. Yeah. I mean, Green Bay Packers forces a fumble, gets that hand in there. You've seen it before. You'll see it again, I'm sure. I mean, just talk a little about how the rest of these alums did. Yeah, I think when, when you think about Raven Green, he was – I probably would say maybe the most under or most inappropriately evaluated, incorrectly evaluated player coming out of JMU because he was terrific at Madison, probably should have been drafted, but ended up sneaking out as an undrafted free agent, which may in turn work better for him since he signed at Green Bay, a place that wanted him, a place that really wanted, uh, you know, saw how he fit what they do. Last year, he made an impact on special teams for them. He did get a sack last year, I believe. Yes, he did. Uh, But... More, more on special teams. I think from what I've been reading from all the different Packers reporters, because uh, I, I you know, want to see how these guys are doing and where they're stacking up, uh, a lot of the Packers reporters have written through in training camp that you know, Green may play more defense than he did last year, may have a more uh, you know, feature role in the defense uh, as, as a safety, nickel corner type hybrid guy. Uh, and, and to me, that's, that's an outstanding jump too from undrafted free agent where you're contributing to all of a sudden you have a role on Green Bay's defense. I think that's very impressive. And I would think Raven Green, with his ability, he, he was another one who had just had such a knack for the ball but could also tackle very physical safety. Uh, I think he'll be fine in Green Bay, and he'll continue to, to, to make an impact there. Why do you think he was under-evaluated heading into the draft? What did you see that maybe those, those scouts didn't see? It was smart. I mean, he was smart. He, he understood – where he he really understood James Madison's defense. I know him and Bob Trott, former defensive coordinator JMU, they had this really great relationship where one of the reasons why Raven decided to come back for an extra year, remember he had that medical right. red shirt, yeah. and uh, he, he, he could have went after they won the national championship in 16, could have went tried to go pro after that. 
uh, but came back because he had earned a medical red shirt and, you know, decided, okay, I'll play a fifth year at Jamie. One of the reasons he wanted to come back was so he could learn a little bit more about the intricacies of the defense. And to me, if you can do that at the college level, maybe there's a chance you, if you want to do, do that and know that at the college level, maybe there's a chance you can do that at the pro level and it can kind of keep going from there. That ability to know football can only grow. And I think he's been able to do that in Green Bay. I know when he was back in Harrisonburg during the spring, he came back to see a spring practice at JMU. One of the things he said was, you know, he, he just, he, he knows what his responsibilities are. He knows how he has to learn all the special teams, how he has to learn the entirety of the defense in order to keep his job. And when you have somebody that understands what they have to do to make sure not only they're playing a role on the team, but keep their job, I think that, that makes a big difference. I know what's going to happen that first uh, regular season game of the year. He's going to return a pick. Uh, he's going to return a pick against the Bears. And, and, and then their seventh-round pick won't be able to tackle him. And yeah, be glad yeah, you don't yeah. know who that is. And it'll be all all, all, all dandy from there. Uh, Dean Marlowe is another one we can't forget. He had himself a pick uh, with the Bills. Uh, I forgot who they played Thursday night. Uh, they, uh, I don't know. Well, they played somebody. It was an NFL oh, preseason. Uh, Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Uh, I mean, I mean. Surprised by that? Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't cover Dean. Dean Marlowe was at Jamie before my time, but he's been a guy that's kind of fought injuries, been on practice squads, so maybe he finds a place in Buffalo, and you know, a pick a pick certainly will help that. Uh, that's kind of my short my short answer view of that uh, in terms of where he stands in Buffalo. Uh, but as as a guy that's kind of battled to stay in the NFL, that's a positive when you come out and make a pick in a preseason game. Uh, anybody else I was missing? That who? Yeah, I mean, I, Daniel Brown's with the Jets, one of the right. tight ends. Uh, he was with the Bears. He was, he, former Bear. He, he was with former the Bears. Former Bear great, Daniel Brown. <laughs> former Bear great. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know. I, I mean, there's, there's Ditka, and then there's Daniel Brown. But, uh, you know, I, I know they've got a couple of tight ends in that room with the Jets. Uh, they're trying to make the roster just from, you know, reading the you know New York papers. Uh, and then... Uh, you know, in that same game that Jimmy was in, you had Ishmael Hyman and Andrew Anker right. on the field at the same time. As G- so, you had three former JMU players on the field in an NFL preseason game. I think Ishmael had a catch. He had he? a catch, and Jimmy stripped the ball from. That's him. right. That's right. And then uh, that's uh, that's Duke on Duke crime right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think Anker had a tackle too. Anker, yeah. Mistaken. And I, I think that's interesting because they signed him to an, un- an undrafted uh, rookie contract undrafted free agent contract out of the AAF to three-year non-guaranteed deal uh with anchor and Redskins and maybe if he doesn't make the 53 man maybe he's good enough to stay on a practice squad I think that's what that's what maybe this preseason is about for anchor if he can't get on that 53 maybe he'll do enough to stay around in DC uh because he he showed a lot of promise in the AAF uh he was one of the one of the best sack guys in the in the AAF uh, and I think that's kind of gone a long way, giving him some confidence. I know he said, you know, playing the AAF changed the course of his football career, basically. Without it, he's probably out of football. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, for that, it, it kept him in football shape, and it, it, he raised some eyebrows in that, what was it, six-game season, if even that? Exactly. I mean, he raised some eyebrows. Exactly, and that's an opportunity that players didn't have before that league existed and then went defunct. Uh, so uh, I know the XFL and the Vad League yeah, is going to be involved. Great in that. segue, great segue. I planned that. No, uh, did you? No. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, looks like Vad League's going to get a chance to 
to you know pick up the football and sling it around a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's a good chance for him. I know he was doing the team chaplain thing in Indiana for a while. I remember him t- writing a story about that, but. I knew he he didn't lose the edge to play no. to play football. He played in that your call football league uh, where the fans picked oh, the that's plays. Right. Yes, uh, you got to go far and wide to find where some of these JMU football <laughs> players play. The uh, your call league, I the, love it. The your call football league. Him and Khalid Abdullah, and I think Terrence Alls also played in that he league. Did. He did. So that's three guys right there. But I remember talking to Lee and Abdullah a couple months ago about it, and the whole thought was since the XFL was involved on the business side. Uh, in that your call league, that maybe they could get a chance to play in that, to play in the XFL when it was ready to go. And I think Lee, as first of all, a really good person, uh, you know, great guy. In, in, yeah, unarguable. You cannot argue that. He's just, I mean, yeah, he's he's, he's just a fantastic person. Good football player. Uh, you know, played at two different schools, Georgia Tech and JMU. Is uh, is kind of liked by everybody he's associated with. It's probably a reason why the XFL is like, you know what, he can play football, he's a good person, why not have him involved in, in our first year as we try to get established? So I think you look at Vadley... try to get established again in the XFL. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> do, you, do you think it lasts? I don't know. I just remember with the, the first one, probably you were, you were born. You I, were, I remember. You were, you, were I remember nine, you were nine years old, I think, I nine remember. Yeah, I remember the New Jersey hitmen very yeah. clearly. I remember that first night. I mean, and this is back when I was a huge wrestling fan back in the day. <laughs> Monday Night Wars. I mean, I was a WWF guy. Uh, and, you know, you watched. And I think, like, that first week just shattered all kinds of records for NBC. Matt Vaskersian yeah. was the play-by-play guy now in that and, and, baseball. And, and you watched. And then what I thought happened, and well, not what I thought happened, what did happen, and if you watched the 30 for 30 on it, yeah, uh, I did. I you, did watch you know that, what yeah. went down is that ratings started failing, and then Vince McMahon jumped in and tried to turn into pro wrestling. He had Jesse the Body Ventura, like, going after coaches and talking smack to coaches, and the coaches who signed up for this were football guys, not wrestling guys. And they're like, what the hell is this guy doing? And, you know, he's a challenge. Really, he's challenging me to a fight here while I'm doing an interview? And it just got stupid and stupid and stupider until finally it was just unwatchable. Uh, And, you know, and then the dumb, I know, you know, everyone's like, oh, the he hate me. Uh, And then, but it's like, you know, then that got stupid as well. You know, it was cute. He hate me to have his nickname on the back of his jersey for a while. And then everyone was doing it. Then it just got silly. Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know. I I don't know if I think the this country's appetite for spring football probably was lost when USFL folded Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day. I think it's just tiring. You know, I, I think it's, you know, for, for what, nine months, six, seven, eight months a year, for a year, every Sunday. You're, you're, you're Saturday is for some, too. Yeah, you're, you're screaming at your TV. You're cheering on your football team. They make the playoffs. Okay, here's three more weeks. They make the they make the World Series, I almost said. They make the Super Bowl. There's another week. And then I think afterwards, I think you just kind of need a break. Yeah. I mean, I just think about JMU. They start in, you know, late July with Media Day. And if they played in Frisco, they're going all the way through the first yeah. two weeks of January, basically. I mean, it's, uh, it's 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 a long year, and then the NFL is even longer. Yeah, uh, it's just football. It's it's almost like football, and it's a great game, and I love watching it. But it's almost like you know, football exhaustion. And I don't know once the Super Bowl's over if I'm ready to jump in. I don't know if I'm ready to get emotionally invested. There's no Chicago team, so I won't be. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm. I don't know as a football fan if I'm ready to get emotionally invested 
in another five months. Yeah, I to me that's that's the difficult part. By then I'm ready for a little break, and then I'm ready for baseball. Yeah, exactly. And that's 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 kind of what that's kind of at least how I see it. I know there are people that love hockey and love basketball too, and would rather watch that. Yeah. Uh, in March, Who, who's going to watch March Madness? Or who's going to watch the XFL over March Madness? No one, right? I mean, it's nobody. Just, so that's that's where I think it's difficult. I do think though the AAF showed it could be done. It could be done with, with good with, business back. There's no business bu- acumen there, yeah. right? Right, with yeah. good business backing and the proper funding to make a league withstand that first season, where you're probably going to have trouble getting off the ground. Uh, to me, I, I see that they have Oliver Luck in charge, uh, former athletic director at West Virginia, now and then was with the NCAA. I think that's a good good start, and then they've gotten good head coaches. You know, if, if you look at Bob Stoops, who run the Dallas team, they, he's got a good assistant in Mickey Matthews. Yes, yeah, yeah. defensive uh, linebackers coach, I think. Assi- yeah, assistant head coach, uh, linebackers. linebackers coach, a defensive oh quality control guy. Oh, okay. I think I want to say yeah. it's like it's like a three word title in there. Uh, if you want to get more on spring football, this this man is not paying us by any means, but I recommend reading Jeff Perlman's football for a buck. It's it's the rise and fall of the USFL, and it really gives you a little bit of a an insight into the whole spring football, how it started and what eventually led to its end, which was basically just, you know, Hebreze, you know, Hebreze led to its end. Uh, Jamie football. I don't want to step on your toes at the no, walkthrough coming up, but I, but I do want, we got you here and got to talk Jamie. I'll, I'll yeah, get all the training camp. You, you, you got you. It's kind of like bar stool. You got the Greg Medea fans who just ride. I don't, I don't ride know about me mercif- that. Unmercifully. If I don't talk to you about Jamie, I, I don't, I don't know about that. I, <laughs> There are people on Twitter that like a JMU football. I don't know if they like me. They just like the idea that someone covers JMU football. They like the idea of you. Right. How's that? Right. That's fair. Uh, hey, man, the season's, you know. We, it's close. <laughs> I mean. Where did summer go? I mean, we're, we're what, two, three weeks away? Two weeks away? Uh, West Virginia, August 31st. Uh, they'll go to Morgantown. Uh, they've got, they're already a week plus in the camp. They're in their second full week of training camp. They'll have one more next week, and then it's game week. Uh, a week ago, you had something in the paper about Danucci, uh probably looking yeah. like the starting QB. No one's come out and said it, but it, it's looking that way. Uh, have you, you know, I know we talk a lot about the turnovers, but then when you kind of look at his stat sheet from last year, it wasn't like he had a. I mean, they came they came in chunks. It wasn't like every game was a turnover fest. It was what like three out of the. It's bad because the last one was so bad. Yeah, I think that's what it is. You remember Colgate. You remember... You remember uh, New Hampshire. Yeah. You remember Colgate and you remember New Hampshire. Yeah. You remember how bad those games went because you can't throw five picks in a playoff game and have a fan base that's happy about it. Yeah. It's, it's just... I mean, that's impossible. But when Danucci was good, and that was most weeks, to be fair, if, if, if Jamie fans are going to be fair to him, most weeks he was better than he was bad. Mm. Let, let's just be honest. There was the Towson game where he ran for over 100 yards. That, that, the, could we call that the Danucci game? I mean, think, I think that was the prototype. That, that's, if you're going to draw a photo of what a, a Danucci football game is going to look like, I think the Towson game was it. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, the way they ran the ball that game, it was because of him. He was making all the right calls, all the right reads in that game where they were running the ball really effectively with him doing some option stuff, scrambling, throwing a ball on time when he needed to throw it. Those three rushing touchdowns over 100 yards that game, I think that's a great example of how he can play. The Rhode Island game the week before, after the New Hampshire debacle, uh, the Rhode Island game was excellent for him. I think five total touchdowns in that one. Uh, was CAA player of the week for that game. Uh, and then you look back, even if you, if you go back to that first game against NC State last year, he gave JMU a chance to win that game. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I know he had a turnover late, but without him and his ability to kind of figure out uh, how to settle that offense, stabilize that offense in that game and the program's first game after Brian Shore's graduation, I, I think you look at that and say, you know, they, they do have a leader there. And by all accounts, he's come back fully understanding that those turnovers cannot happen. I think Signetti and Montgomery, uh, the new coach and new offensive coordinator, uh, are going to be very good about putting him in situations where maybe he doesn't have to throw the ball into as dangerous a places as he did in the previous offense. Uh, and I think he's come back sharper. Uh, I talked to his private quarterback coach, Quincy Wilson. He trains Deshaun Watson, uh, the Texans quarterback, uh, Josh Dobbs, former Tennessee quarterback who's with the Steelers now, uh, as well as a couple other high-profile college quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, who's at Alabama, now is at Oklahoma, uh, Sean Clifford, who's at Penn State. Uh, and he told me, you know, Danucci's talent arm strength is up there with those elite-level players. He just doesn't show it consistently like those guys do. And he said he thinks Danucci's on the right path to doing it. They did a lot of work where they moved the pocket and had to have him reset his feet. Uh, they started with a classic drop back uh, where he was perfectly in line to time and throw the ball without a hitch. And then they worked with the awkward movements and the running stuff that Danucci does that makes him so effective at times. So I think that's one reason why I think Danucci has come back and looked like the top guy without a doubt. I'm curious to see where, and, and I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm being serious. As someone who watched, watched some of those games last year, is I didn't dislike the swagger. I enjoyed the swagger that he played the game with. He would, you know, occasionally point on a first down. He would get in some people's faces. He, you know, he plays like a, like a quarterback. Most quarterbacks should. Most quarterbacks do. And I'm just kind of wondering to myself. But now, as I'm saying it out loud, I'm wondering to everybody, <laughs> is, is 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 if this, you know, the fixing of these problems is gonna is he gonna lose a little bit of that swagger? I don't know. And it's not important. I mean, because you know the fan base shouldn't care whether or not he's you know he's jamming his finger in someone's face mask after a first down if they're win- if they're going you know if they're going undefeated and winning the CA and, win- and going back to Frisco. But it, just as someone who who you know enjoys the emotional aspect of the game, I'm just curious. You know, I think you'll see it tempered a bit. Okay, just with the new coach. Okay. I, I think you'll see Danucci's emotions tempered a bit. And I would worry more about the low emotions as opposed to the high emotions because when he's playing with that emotion, that fiery chip on his shoulder, and you can see things are going well, and he's kind of letting the defense know about it, that means he's playing very well. Fair. I think you got to worry about when he throws that first pick, when he throws that second pick, you got to worry about that spiraling because I think that's some of what happened in the Colgate game. You saw his confidence just obliterated. Yeah, you had to scrape I, him it, off the turf with his, with his they li- spatula. They literally I mean. had to put Gage Maloney in the game because they wanted to give Danucci a minute to rest, uh, Houston and that staff, in their last game. I, I To me, I think that's what you worry about more. If you can find somewhere to get it a little bit more neutralized where maybe the highs are not shown as high and the lows certainly don't affect him as badly as it did in the past, I think that's more of the recipe for success. So just like this perfect middle road to find where you're, you know, you're... I don't even think it has to be that. I think you can have the highs. You just got to gotta 
be able to rein it in when your confidence goes gotcha. down. Gotcha. Okay. You, you can't you can't let the bottom fall out, especially if you're going to be a starting quarterback for a team that wants to win a national championship. Uh, real quick, and then we'll we'll let you go, Greg. The the the, the offensive backfield. You had a little something on it this week. Uh, how's the rest of the offensive backfield? I mean, I think it's kind of you know with the return of Danucci and the you know that offensive line. You know, running backs. I mean, I think that maybe gets over. You know, with yeah, it, it, the losses at running back got over get overlooked a little bit. I do. I mean, they they're replacing three guys that were pretty good for them, and Carton Johnson, Trey Sharp, and Marcus Marshall. Uh, but I, I do think there's an opportunity uh, for Juwan Hamilton and uh, for Percy Ajayi to kind of take charge. I was looking back; it was really interesting. I went back and looked at kind of the last five years of both Signetti's offenses and Shane Montgomery's offenses, and Montgomery like. For the past five years, he's had a running back carry the ball at least 40% of the time, one running back. So that means one guy is getting the most of the touches, which is a drastic change from what JMU's been the past couple of years, except for with the caveat being 2016 when Khalil Abdullah just Yeah, went nuts. Yeah, (laughs) went nuts pretty much when he was the best player in the country. Uh, But I think that's what's really interesting to watch. Signetti's not as drastic as that. Happened a couple of times. Uh, but he did lean on Malcolm Summers a lot at Elon before Summers got hurt in both seasons. So I think that's something to watch for early. Is it a strict pecking order where the top guy gets a significant more amount of the carries compared to what they've been in the past, where you got two or three guys touching the ball pretty equally? You feel confident? Maybe I don't to know. Out, I don't know. Guess who it is? I don't know. That's that's why I didn't put kind of where okay. I thought it was going in the story. Uh, because you have two two coaches that have been a little different in the past. Uh, Montgomery, if, if Montgomery's calling the plays and Montgomery's in control of the offensive personnel, I would think maybe it's one guy. I would think maybe it's one guy. But if it's Signetti, it's probably a little less. You'll still have a kind of starter number one back that carries the ball more, but it'll be more equally distributed behind him. Uh, whereas Montgomery, if it's one guy uh, as the feature back, he's, you're going to see an awful lot of that one guy. Wow, that, that should be interesting to watch. Season starts August 30th? 31st. 31st. 31st in, in, at West Virginia. Greg, uh, walkthrough podcast weekly starting next week. Yep. Uh, so make sure, like I said, he's on iTunes uh, and dnronline.com and SoundCloud. Soon he'll be on Spotify and Google Play Music or Google Music Play, whatever the heck it's called. Hey, this is the walkthrough podcast. Uh, no, this is the Rock Town. This is the Rock Town. See, now I'm confused. This it's, is the... it's tough. I, I did it almost a couple times. Uh, I think last time Shane was here, I did it. Uh, I mixed it up. It's like, that's wrong. <laughs> this, this is the Rock Town Sports Pod, episode 28, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play Music. Greg Medea, JMU football beat writer for the Daily News Record. Thanks for joining us, man. Happy to be here. Thanks.